You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Good morning to you. I'd be glad if you'd turn in the epistle of Paul to the church at Rome uh, and to chapter 15 of that letter. And I will read to you from verse 14. I'm sorry, I forgot my instructions. My version of the NIV is slightly updated on yours, but it's still the Word of God. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ wasn't known so that I wouldn't be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who weren't told about him will see and those who haven't heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there's no more space for me to work in these regions and since I've been longing for many years to visit you I plan to do so when I go to Spain I hope to see you while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while now however I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them in their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this contribution, I'll go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem will be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's God's word, which you can trust completely, uh, which is not true about my preaching, so please keep the Bible open so that you can check what I say against the scriptures, and if you see it there, do as you're told. It's God's word. 
I was thinking earlier, I once spent a morning with a missionary. We were out walking, and in about three hours, he spoke approximately two sentences. I thought to myself, how on earth can someone like that be a missionary? And then I discovered he worked in a people group where they will sit for three or four hours and say absolutely nothing. I'd have had a nervous breakdown if I'd been called to them, but the Lord chose the right sort of person. Then one time when I was working in Japan, I, I met a Japanese Christian leader. He told me about the founding of his denomination. Apparently, uh, an old woman in America had been widowed and decided that she thought God was calling her to go to Japan. So she applied to as many missionary societies as possible, and they told her she was much too antique. Uh, to go to a foreign country and start learning a language and all that. So she went independently and started to work amongst young boys in Japan, and they came to Christ. And this Japanese Christian leader told me, he said, um, and then she said to us boys, well, I haven't got any money and you haven't got any money, but I think we ought to build the Lord, so we'll have to ask the Lord to provide, won't we? So... She was, you know, an old birdie, and off she went, and Jesus used her. It's interesting, isn't it? Why is it that in our churches we're always looking, uh, saying, well, mission is something our young people ought to do? Yes, they ought to, but it's not a hobby that you grow out of when you become antique. It is something you grow into. As an old Scottish man dying of cancer of about 90 said to my wife when she visited him in hospital, I've asked the Lord for a couple more weeks because that guy over there, I reckon he'll come to the Lord in two weeks' time. Go out with a bang, not a whimper. What a wonderful thought. But you see, the, the whole thing is all geared around this question. What are we ambitious for as believers you know, whether we're young like some of you lot over there or, and some of you lot there or antiques. What are the things that we're really ambitious for? And I want to suggest to you that very often when we look at church, we're ambitious for a church a bit like this one here. I'm sorry it's not very clear. They always put the spotlights on this screen. Um, but we want our church to be comfortable and familiar where the pastor will say the sort of things that we agree with, that, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and, and then, well, what do we want in a job? Well, we really do want to enjoy it, don't we? And uh, we want it to be well paid and we want it to be something where we feel really fulfilled and satisfied. Um, and, and then what about our families? Well, um, yes loving and happy and successful and healthy um, well you know we're normal Christians after all for goodness sake aren't we but sometimes when we think about our ambitions where, where does God and God's ambitions feature and, and I love the way in the epistle to the Romans some people think it seems to think it, the Romans was Paul's attempt at a PhD in all the most complicated bits of the gospel. But actually, when you read Romans, you find it's actually a justification for him forever going after foreigners to bring them to Christ. In chapter 1, he talks about that. And here at the end of it, he's saying, this is the rationale for why I'm always pursuing these foreigners. I know it says Gentiles in yours. It just means them who aren't us. 
And it's very important to do that. We all have that sort of thing. You know, in Hong Kong, they talk about the guailo, the foreign, foreign devils. And actually, you know, once I had a Singaporean say to me, there's no witness needed in the medical school because they're all Christians. I thought, blow me, they're not in any medical school that I know. Then I realized they were just thinking about their own nationality. We all do it. Whether we're Caucasian or Chinese or or, or Latin Americans, we all tend to think that sort of way. And here we find Paul writing an epistle where the whole theological basis for going for people from everywhere, that which undergirds the Great Commission, as you go, make disciples and don't be picky. Make them of all nations and of all people groups. That's what it's about. So let's look at the way that Paul unpacks the ambition that he has And the first thing we find is that he has an ambition for there to be worthy churches of the Lord Jesus all over the world. Just look at verses 14 to 16 and see this. And notice the way that he's really sussed out this Italian church in Rome. He's probably done a bit of, like our prayer leader, of work at Operation World and stuff like that, and maybe a bit more, and asked people who are visitors here to find out about the state of the church uh, there in Italy. And he says three things about them. I have become convinced, brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now, do you see what he's sussing out about the church in another country? where they're different from him. He's saying, "Um, yeah, I know there's a church there, but what's it like? I mean, has it penetrated the lifestyle of the people? Are they living holy lives? Have their lives been changed by the gospel so that they are living distinctively counterculture? When I was a young missionary, I used to work amongst revolutionary students in the Philippines. It, it was, you know, quite fun. Somebody once turned up and said, uh, I've just disposed of a rocket launcher that my brother left under my bed. I hope, I'm, uh, I, hope I wasn't followed here. And I thought, crumb, so do I. And then somebody turned up for discussion with my, with my wife uh, because he was interested in my wife because my wife is a converted Marxist and... Uh, uh, and this guy had a hand grenade on his belt, you know, and you sort of sweated a bit. But these guys were prepared to die on the streets for what they believed in. And then some of them got converted. And this was sanctified, and, and they had a level of commitment. I mean, when they were fighting for the revolution, they gave 20% of their income. They would break off with their boyfriend or girlfriend if they wouldn't go the same way in this passion for change. They would go against the ambitions of their parents. They came to Christ. They made super Christians. There was a level of holy commitment that just blew my mind away and rebuked me. But it's not always like that, is it? But, you know, I was once with a young pastor in a mining town in in Mongolia. And here's this pastor talking to me as he's planting a church. And he's got a passion for Kazakhs. And he said, you know, some of these foreigners, they tell me our church is too young to be sending people out to reach foreigners. He said, but I've read the Bible and that's not right, is it? He said, wow, 
this, this dynamic of life change that's happening here. Now, it's, it's not so always. It's not just Britain that has nominal Christians. So does Africa. So does some parts of Latin America. So does China. So does Korea. The statistics hide this fact that it's not always true that life in the communities is changed because Christians have been transformed by the gospel. Isn't that right? So Paul is sussing this out. And he says, yeah, you're full of goodness. It's working. You're being changed. More than that, he says, you've got a grasp of the truth. I mean, it is amazing, isn't it, sometimes what baby Christians think the truth is. Don't you reckon? Actually, it's sometimes pretty amazing what some old Christians think the truth is as well. But I can remember a guy when I was a student, he became a Christian. And he was absolutely thrilled with knowing Jesus. And then one day he said to me, he said, Dick, this stuff about the resurrection, he said, I don't think that really happened. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's gone wrong here, you see? Anyway, I, he went away for his Easter vacation and I, I prayed a bit for him and he came back. He said, Dick, he says, I think I made a mistake about the resurrection. I, I mean, it's all right. And I think, oh, he's beginning to think straight. But Paul talks about we've got to let God remould our minds from within because we don't automatically think truth the moment we pray a sinner's prayer, do we? And he's checking up on these Christians. Do they, do they know the truth? Have they grasped things? He's really concerned. He, he wants a quality church, not a clueless church. I was talking to a guy in China, and he said to, in a house church, he said to me, when I was in New Zealand, I went to this lovely church. I said, what was the church called? And he thought for a moment, he said, I think it was Baha'i. And I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> you know, funny sort of church you call that, you know. And he's come back really excited about this lovely fellowship he'd had in New Zealand. So when the church said to me, here's a list of things we want you to teach today, it was two sides of false gap. Two sides, no, sorry, two sides of A4, closely typed. These were the topics I had to cover in one day. And he thought, well, I don't mind doing that if this guy thinks Baha'i is the same as us. He's sussing out their truth. But more than that, he's sussing out what are they like at ministering. You know, it's great. You know, things are changing here in Scotland. When I first came here, it seemed to me that the role of most congregations was to sit under the ministry of the word, but to sit, if you know what I mean. And now it seems to me that many churches... Uh, 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 people are really mobilizing and seeing that the Spirit of God has gifted every one of us for ministry. It may be ministry to the person sitting next to you that you pray through something that's hit them after the service. It may be ministry in all sorts of practical ways, but we're all called to minister, aren't we? And Paul says, have they got that taped? Are they learning to minister? I have to tell you, one day when I was in, in north of Thailand, I met this Thai woman, and the next day she was going to Glasgow to do a PhD. And she spoke English as though it were Thai. I mean, Thai is a bit like Welsh, only it, it goes up the scale all the time, if you know what I mean. You know, the Welsh, they, they sing when they're talking, and it goes up 
if there are any Welsh people here, I do apologise, but um, but it is really very sing-songy. Well, the tie actually they go up the scale as they go up the thing and it fades away at the end and she spoke English like that and I just listened to the tune and hadn't a clear clue what she was saying but I said to my wife never mind if you don't understand her please welcome her she's the most gifted evangelist I've ever set eyes on it didn't matter where people came from I mean yeah sure she started with the Thai we had more people studying the Bible in Glasgow than they had in Bangkok at one point it seemed almost and then she, you find her sitting down with an old Scottish granny and, and, and counselling her. And then she phoned me one day and she said, Dick, she said, you do need to come to dinner. I said, yes, I, I'm, I'd love to come to dinner with your cooking, but I'm sure you've got an ulterior motive. And she said, oh, Dick, she said, I've met all these Vietnamese government officials and they do need to know about Jesus. And, you know, she's just sharing and sharing and not that sort of Christian that is sort of, you know, that, sort of says you too can be a Christian like me if you're not careful I mean she's lovely at the same time and I think wow isn't this wonderful to find a young Christian that is is a compulsive evangelist and she's gentle and she's kind and people love her to bits and you see you see that the Lord is raising churches that are competent to minister but it's not always the case is it and so Paul is sussing out the Italians and he's seeing these things now why do I spend this amount of time on all this sort of stuff I do it for this reason that sometimes when we talk about mission we rubbish foreign churches in order to justify our going you know you sort of say oh well the church in China it's it's, it, it's miles wide, but it's only a millimeter deep. So, of course, we've got to go. Now, now, Paul doesn't justify himself in that putting other people groups down sort of way. The Spirit of God is at work in the world. And, and believe me, brothers and sisters, we're not better than them. And that isn't what mission is about. We are not better than them we're not always holy living Christians here I mean I don't know you a lot but I know I know my own church and I know my own heart so I've got a rough idea about you we're not living all that holy we get some cockeyed ideas even though we believe the Bible and some of us aren't really mobilized into ministry we're not better but that doesn't mean we shouldn't long for mature churches here and there. And Paul is longing for that. Do you see what he says? He says, I want people to be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. There was a Scottish girl working amongst the Aka people in North Thailand. And one day where she was home on leave here, she got a message to say that five Akka villages had decided it was too expensive to go on appeasing the spirit, so they were going to become Christians because it was cheaper. Now, she was pretty delighted, but she knew she had to go, to back, go, go, go back because, I mean, there's more to being a Christian than being an economizing animist, isn't there? I mean, really... <laughs> I love the way Paul says, I want them 
to be sanctified by the Spirit so that they're not half-baked Christians. Yeah, they're saved, but pretty disappointing. (laughs) You know? I want something beautiful for God. And so the second thing I want to talk about, you'll never believe I'm only on point two. The second ambition that Paul has is to do a beautiful work for God. I want to say to you that that mission isn't about us all being the same. It isn't about us all being sort of terrible, boisterous extroverts like me. I mean, my wife is quite the opposite. When my wife, as my fiancé, joined me and we got married in the Philippines, uh, one of the missionaries said to her, I don't know how you'll do student work. You're you're really quite shy and quiet. (laughs) She hadn't got a clue that Rose had actually been doing student work quite as long as I had and, uh, and reached all sorts of people that I couldn't get near just because she was who she was. But look, you're like a bunch of keys. You're not all the same shape. I'm not talking about your stomachs. I, 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 I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about your gifts and the way the Lord's been shaping you up as you. But keys open doors, don't they? And the wrong key doesn't open certain doors. So that the role that we have is to help one another discover who we are in God. And the doors that you can open, sometimes Christians are like those doors. One of my doors was obviously equipped with keys by the previous owner of our house who was a bank manager so it takes several keys to open it Um, reaching some people is a several key job sometimes if you know what I mean but here's Paul saying what can I do for the Italian church and he says well I've got a literature ministry I can write can't I And so he begins a literature ministry that we're still studying today. Do you see that? Because of the grace God's given me, I'm going to write to you. God has equipped me in a particular way to have some input in the Italian church. What can I do there to make things better? I want you to see further in this paragraph that the Apostle Paul makes it clear that the call of mission is an act of God's grace. It is like that occasion in your home when a little child offers to help you and your heart sinks. Because you know that you could do it so much more efficiently if the child would just get out of the way. But then you weigh things up and you think, it would be nice to do something with my wee boy. It's sort of called parent-child bonding, isn't it? God's really big on bonding. It isn't efficient for him to do mission through us. It will be much more efficient just to use angels. Or to just do it himself for that matter. But he is, he is very into bonding with his children. And that is why the Apostle Paul talks about because of the grace of God I have a ministry to foreigners I mean don't can't you see that it's very special 
God is not lumbering you with missionary responsibility. It is because he loves you and wants to do things with you that he calls you to to go for it with him in one way or another. And the third thing you notice about this paragraph is that Paul sees mission as worship. I love the way he puts it in verse 16. He says, He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the foreigners might become an offering acceptable to God. It's as though Paul sees, you know, I'd like to give a few Greeks to God as a thank you present for all that he's done for me. That's the sort of mindset of Paul, isn't it? I don't want it to be a cheap and cheerful present. I want them to be well, I mean, something where he can say, yeah, that's just what I wanted. I mean, you know, I can remember once going into a barber's in Glasgow and the guy was Algerian and he was so proud about his faith. And I walked back after we'd had a fun time together in which he'd actually managed to cut me as well as my hair. Um, and, and I just, Lord, I want to give him to you. And I actually one time actually... T- prayed for him in the shop nobody else was there but the next time I went there were a load of uh, uh, Scottish guys there and 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 he says hello Dick he says what are you praying for me today and I thought well crumbs he wants me to do it in front of all these folk you know but it was just that sort of exhilarating thought Lord please can I give him to you you haven't got too many Algerians and I want to now this is the sort of feeling that I get out of this verse the priestly duty, and it's not the mission sort of somehow pays for your salvation. That's, that's a Jehovah's Witness sort of nonsense. It is rather that, that, that this is a sacrifice in the sense of a thank offering, a response because he has done so much that is amazing for us. Please may I give you some foreigners. And it's so much easier now they all come here. The next ambition I want you to see is that Paul is particularly ambitious about those who've never heard. How are we doing? Yeah, we are. Wonderful. Ambitious for those who've never heard who are murkily up there for you to think about. We need to sometimes sit down and think to ourselves, uh, who are those who are unreached here and abroad? Can I please say to use Asians here that you have come to a pagan city. It's nice in this church, but you've come to a pagan city. You've come to a pagan city, many of you, to get certain types of qualifications, yes? And that's very important. And you owe it to the Lord and probably to your parents as well to get a good degree. But if you love Jesus and have come here, you have come here because God is in the business of moving people around so that some will perhaps reach out for him and find him. Student witness in the Republic of Ireland in some places was pioneered by Chinese students. So, as it were, 
look for that opportunity with your classmates as well because it's very strategic and I want to say to those of you who've come here as foreigners, you could really grow here in mission. Look around. Some of you may be come from a country like Malaysia where you can't evangelize people of another faith. At least you can, but you might go to prison for it. But here you won't go to prison for it. It's difficult wherever you do it, but it may be that one of your classmates is interested right? Now this is true for all of us. A few years ago I was speaking at Dundee CU I said I want you to give a John's Gospel to a, a friend from another place and get them to underline the exciting bits and to put a question mark by the bits they've got questions about and there was one guy who was a fresher and I thought he was rather too shy to take that on board but next time I came back in a prayer group, he said, I did it and I gave it to someone of another faith and they're thinking about becoming a Christian now. Can you see what I'm saying? That this is for all of us, wherever we come from and whoever we're brought into contact with, we need to think with priority about those who haven't yet had the chance to hear. And that is tremendously important, that we calculate people's chances and zero in there. Paul is not one of those people who wants to evangelize like a headless chicken going around and giving the briefest possible summary to everyone so that he can say, they're done. He is actually concerned to preach a full gospel. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ in that area. Now, what does that mean? It means taking time. It means trying to go into death. He talks about it being illustrated by signs and wonders. I don't think that means that you've all got to go wildly sort of zapping people in, in a way that would be more at home in Vineyard than in St. Pete's. I, what I'm trying to think about here is the fact that can I put it this way? Paul didn't just want to get to people's minds so that they said, yes, I agree, and I can tick all those doctrinal boxes. He wanted them to see that we serve a God who works, who does things. When you read the Gospels, what do you find happens with Jesus? Somebody comes up to him and says, I've got a kid at home and she's, di she's dying. Can you do anything about it, please? And he says, yes, I'll give you a taste of the power of God. Ten lepers come up to him and say, we don't really like being lepers. Can you sort it? And he sorts it for ten of them. It's not very effective evangelistically. Only 10% only get saved. Only one comes back. But he's prepared to give the others that taste. So that, as it were, our ministry, if it's like Jesus is not just introducing people to a worldview and ideas. It's introducing them to the fact that there's a living God there who's powerful. I have found for me that means I often will say to people, are you talking to Jesus yet? And often they will say, well, not yet. I don't really know him. And then sometimes a guy from China said to me the other day, will you introduce me? So I said, yeah, I'll introduce you. So, you know, I did. You know, I, I said, Jesus, this is... Never mind what his name was, but let's say it's Michael for the moment. Good Chinese name. This is Michael. Um, you know, 
he's finding out about you, will you please help him to realize that you really do love him and that you want to talk to him and deal with him and sort him out? And then this guy says, well, yeah, I think I can talk to him, actually. And he starts to. Now, was it a sinner's prayer? Well, sometimes it is a sinner's prayer. Sometimes it's not a sinner's prayer. It's, It's where Jesus is giving somebody a sort of taste of it, like he did in the Gospels that makes them more guilty when they see that Jesus isn't just an idea, but he's the Lord who works. But the Lord is up for that. I told some people yesterday that there was this this mad rugby player in Oxford and and suddenly his, his dog was sick and he decided he'd better ask Jesus to make his dog. And he said, Lord Jesus, if, if you heal my dog, I'll, I'll become a Christian. Well, Jesus did heal his job, so he went to Christianity Explored and got saved. I mean, (laughs) in other words, Paul is concerned not just to pass on information, but to help people see if God will only give that evidence that we serve a living God who does things. Now, will you notice, thirdly, it's not just that they need the complete gospel message, uh, but thirdly... We need to have God's priorities. Did you notice the way he finishes off that second paragraph? He says, as it's written, those who weren't told about him will see, and those who haven't heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying, "Um, I'm sorry that I haven't had time for fellowship with you, but there are these unbelievers out there. Now, My observation is that the keener Christians become, the more time they spend with Christians. Isn't that right? A Korean pastor said to me on one occasion, when people are first converted, we we have to reach their friends in the first two years because after that, Christians don't have any non-Christian friends. They have contacts, but they don't have friends. That's very interesting, isn't it? Now, here's the Apostle Paul saying, uh, because in Isaiah 52, it says that God's agenda is that those who haven't heard are going to, because that is God's agenda, I want to fit with that. And if that means I occasionally am not at the 35 church meetings in the week, so be it. I haven't yet had time for fellowship with you Italians. Now, I'm not saying go it alone. We Christians need one another. We need Christian fellowship. We're designed in the image of a triune God. We are not designed to be able to go it alone. But I am saying that we shouldn't so be programmed with Christians that we leave the unbelievers to go to hell. Paul reschedules his diary in that respect, and I believe I have to as well quite frequently. Now, the last two bits, I probably have run out of time, haven't I? The minister said carry on, so you know who to blame. Um, He has an ambition to go. Look at verses 23 to 29. And the first thing I notice here is that the Apostle Paul has a travel plan. He's planning to go to Italy en route to Spain. He's planning to go to Spain. Now, some people would say, ah, yes, he's planning to go to Spain, but did he have a call? 
But as far as we get it here, what the Apostle Paul says is, no, I had a plan. Now, I find that very interesting. J. Oswald Sanders, who used to run the uh, mission company that I work for, um, once said, I go to churches and they're all willing to go, but they're all planning to stay. Now, when you read the letter to the Romans, you find that Paul was planning to go, but he was um, willing to stay. Actually, he got quite frustrated. He, he, he tells, us, tells, you, tells us not only in Acts of Apostles do we find that the Spirit put roadblocks in the way, but in Romans chapter 1, Satan prevented him. Quite hard to unpack that sometimes, but never mind that. He is, he is planning to go. Now, I want to suggest to you, because the Lord has already put in writing, as you go, make disciples. I mean, have you noticed that some Christians think that the height of spirituality is, is, is to offer themselves to God as a computer? Lord, here am I, plug in your program. That is not spirituality. God hasn't made use as computers he's made use as people in the image of God who can choose to do beautiful things Mm -hmm. now I want to suggest to you that as you reflect on the things we've been grappling with this morning you think what would you like to bring to God as something beautiful you'd like to do for him in the mission of God's people. It doesn't have to be a massive thing, but something beautiful. And you say, Lord, this is what I would like to do for you because I love you. Please may I. If you do it with a heart like that, the Lord is well able to put roadblocks in the way if you're daft. The elders and the pastor here are well able to advise you if you're thinking off beam as a Christian. But begin by bringing it to God, this, this sense of worship. Please may I do something beautiful for you because I love you, Lord. And for Paul, there is this plan. You know, if there's nobody to look after the children here, you don't just say, Bahalana, sorry, that's Filipino. Um, you don't just say, uh, well, somehow the Lord will provide. You, you look around the church and you look for people who you think have the right sort of gifts. You check out that they're not likely to fail police clearance and you say, would you be willing to do this? You approach people, don't you? The New Testament church did that for missions as well. Barnabas came back and found Saul to in-depth disciple people. So, so we are allowed to think. We are allowed to plan. We are allowed to dream. We are allowed to offer God ourselves because we love him for his projects. Now it's interesting to see and I don't really want to develop this now. If you read this paragraph you will see that the Apostle Paul is not actually a loner in mission. He actually wants to incorporate partnership with both Italians and Spaniards which is pretty remarkable isn't it? 
He recognizes that mission is a bigger thing than just him and that partnership is important even if he only wanted Italian money. But he is concerned for an international partnership. And the other thing I want you to see from this particular paragraph is the extraordinary divine assurance that he has. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Now, I might say to uh, uh, say some of you, y- you students, um, do you think sort of around exam time that you'll really be full of the Spirit, having wonderful quiet times and all that? And some of you might say, well, I really couldn't say, but probably I shall not read the Bible very often and I'll keep playing catch-up on my phone with my Murray McShane readings and things like that as... I confess to you, I do occasionally. I mean, four chapters a day is sometimes beyond my stamina. Uh, or I read the four chapters and then I think, what on earth have I read? Where was it? Um, <laughs> but I mean, are you going to be in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ at this time now? How is it that Paul can say, well, when I arrive in Spain, I shall actually be in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ? Is it because he's so confident about the the quality of his own spiritual life. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm not sure that it was. I rather think he is confident that when he moves out into pagan Spain, the Lord's not going to abandon him because the Lord is really rooting for him in that situation. And the Lord indeed in the Great Commission says, I'm not watching, I'm coming. I'm coming too with you. That as we venture with the Lord and dare with the Lord. I can remember when I was an undergraduate, there was this biology student. And, and he said, no, I can't take part in the mission. My, I really haven't got my spiritual life together. And I've got so many questions and so many doubts. And I, was, I hadn't been to the Philippines then, so I hadn't learned how to be gentle. And I said to him, you're downright disobedient, aren't you? And he thought about it and he thought, yeah, I am actually. I'm using all my problems and questions in my Christian life as just an excuse for never sharing anything about Jesus. So he rather went over the top and he sent an invitation to all the people in the biology department to come to tea with him. And then he gave his testimony. <laughs> God. You know, from being frightened to sort of jumping in with both feet. And he said to me, isn't Jesus brilliant? You know? Went off in mission in Africa. Bishop Festo Cavendry found him a wife. Uh, I mean, still active in, in, in witness as a, you know, an old man. He must, be, he must be nearly as old as me. He's probably 70 now. Uh, and, and all those years of witness, because as a student, he suddenly discovered that when, when you jump in and do as you're told, even though you've got loads of excuses why you shouldn't, Jesus actually does the follow-through. He doesn't abandon, he comes too. And that is the assurance of Paul. <sighs> now, that would almost lead you to think, okay, it's going to be easy, isn't it? But Paul doesn't quite believe that because he knows that as he goes into mission, he's got to get people to start praying for him. And here he is, he's writing to a load of Italians, asking them to pray for an Israeli that's going to do some stuff in Jerusalem. It's not natural, is it? I mean, you don't pray for foreigners working in somewhere foreign, do you? But he asks these Italians to pray. Look at this prayer because 
He wants to mobilize prayer for mission. I'm sorry I'm such a fidgety uh, preacher. I, I wanted to be a ballet dancer when I was small, but I, I turned out the wrong shape. But <laughs> look, at, look at him here, this great passion for prayer. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by prayer. Isn't it interesting? In the New Testament, whenever the apostle wants people to pray, he has to bring out the big guns because we don't do it so often. So he urges them, not would you consider the possibility that you might occasionally pray for me? I urge you, by our Lord Jesus Christ, the boss wants this done. And by the love of the Holy Spirit. Early this morning, I, 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 I met somebody that I think is nearly as old as me who, who used to work in India and we were praying together. And I didn't tell her that when I first went to India, I didn't want to go. Because there were two countries on earth that I, 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 I didn't want to, to go to, and one of them was India. And as we went to India, I spoke to my wife about my misgivings in Filipino so that the other passengers wouldn't understand. And basically, in terms of going to India, I was thoroughly racist, and I didn't like them, and I didn't want to go with them. And I hated the way they always smelled of curry, even though I now quite like curry. And I went to minister there with that sort of ungodly attitude but I got people praying for me that somehow the Lord would not only give me love but give me a prophetic relevance as I preached after about a week of ministry there this old Indian student worker came up to me he said Dick this is amazing it's as though you've been here 20 years you seem to understand all about us I thought oh I cried when I left India. I didn't want to go because the Lord poured out that love. Now, he's saying the Holy Spirit can do that for you in your prayer life, that he can give you a love for people. Last term, I led a Uyghur guy from Xinjiang province to Christ. It just blew my mind away. I've been praying for Uyghurs for about... 25 years. I'd never set eyes on a Uyghur for ages until one time I, I, I happened to be doing something in St. George's Tron and there were a load of people from Xinjiang there looking for Bibles and one of them didn't look properly Chinese, if you know what I mean. And they said, oh no, he's Uyghur. I just wanted to cuddle him and bring him to Jesus, you know. But why was I so besotted with, with Uyghurs before I'd met any of them? I don't know, but I know the Holy Spirit loves them. And the Spirit of God can do this, and Paul believes this. This is why he gets Italians to pray for a work in Israel. This is why he urges us to pray beyond our own little people group. And the wonderful thing is that he says the Spirit will help you. But then he says that doesn't mean it'll be a cushy number. It will be a struggle. And what he is saying is, I want you, I want you to, the word means all in wrestling. I want you to wrestle in prayer. And it's not like Jacob, who was the most selfish prat in the whole of the scriptures. I mean, his name even means twister. 
And when he prays, he prays, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It gives me the creeps that Christian people think that's a wonderful prayer. It's downright selfish. Actually, what he's praying is, please don't let my brother bump me off after I've swindled him. But the Holy Spirit comes to us. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray, I will not let you go unless you bless them. Isn't that amazing? And it will be hard work to call down that blessing. I praise the Lord for the people who persevered in prayer for me over the, since 1968 when I went into world mission. And some of them have persevered and hung on and brought me through times when I've been helpless. Paul reckoned he needed that and he believed that if they prayed for protection from the opposition that could destroy for acceptance of his ministry amongst the local believers over there and for him to come back with joy, not broken or sad up or disappointed. And Paul believes that if people will give themselves to that beautiful work of prayer, you will not have loads of frustrated, broken missionaries. So I ask you at the end, as I began at the beginning, how are we going to adjust our ambitions to fit with God's ambitions for his world? Hardly see it there, can you? Here and abroad, how do you look at mission? Something you're lumbered with or the grace of God to count you in as a co-worker with the living God? What are you aiming at in life? Something Beautiful for God? Where do the unevangelized feature in your diary, in your plans, how you use your time? What sort of plans do you think you could reasonably make that you might be mobilized? Will you struggle in prayer for mission? And after a chapter that challenges us, at least challenges me to the core, there's a nice little tailpiece that seems to say, don't panic. The God of peace with you all. Not be, well, I hope it'll work out that way. This is the God who is with us all of us who believe and he comes too and that's what just makes it utterly amazing not comfortable but amazing to work together with him shall we pray living God we want to bow before you and worship you as the one who has been passionate to restore people you made in your image who are broken and lost rebellious and foolish 
and you did it for us. So different from one another though we are, you have incredibly valued us enough to take us to belong with you and to end up in your place. Living God, tune our ambitions to be like yours. Help us to be ambitious that your church here and around the world should be beautiful for you because that's what you deserve. Help us to care about lost people, though they are often in these days a real threat to us. Help us to respond with love and longing with compassion and care, sharing the good news. And in the way we live and in the ways we encourage them, helping them to see that you are the living and loving God that you are. Our Father, help us to make plans in tune with you. Help us to value one another and to be Christians who work in partnership with others. Help us to discover more and more that you really do come with us into this task. And yet we pray that you will make us increasingly a people that know what it is to wrestle in prayer. Because of the assurance of your promises because of the mysterious way that you do things in response to our sometimes silly little prayers. Help us to work with you in that way too. The God we talk to as well as the God we serve. And living God, we pray that from this congregation will be ripples of blessing both among the many peoples who are here in Dundee, but also even to the ends of the earth from this congregation, Lord. Have mercy on us. And for your glory, take our lives and use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.